You're listening to the Podcast Network. Listen. Learn. Evolve. This podcast is brought to you by Motorola. Hey, baby. Uh, I know it's late. Uh, uh, I'm sorry I sent that photo of you on my phone to Barry, but I think it was a mistake that we broke up. Because I still love you. Great phones. But we can't tell you how to use them. I like your, your hair and that. I like your cat. I like your pink skirt with the buckles on it. I like your glasses. I love your hair. Alright, so I'm sitting downstairs at the Kobac Cabana now. This is very exciting. Yeah, this is the Copa Copacabana. No, this is the place. This is where Miranda, Carmen Miranda did a fruit on the head thing. That's what I was told. I don't know. I'm from Australia. They tell us all sorts of shit. So I'm here with Jackie Huber from Church of the Customer, Steve Rubell from Cooper Cats, and Mina Trot from Typepad. Thank you for joining me. Oh, from Six Apart. That's right. Well, I think of you as Typepad because I'm a Typepad customer. Okay, but I've been corrected. I haven't even started and I've been corrected. Keep the brand strong. And I mean, I wanted you to tell everybody the story that you told at the, uh, what was the, the, the dinner at Demo in February, the Innovators Dinner or something like that. You were telling the story about your school teacher. Oh, yeah, oh Jesus. <laughs> no, not Jesus, it's a microphone. <laughs> um, I was, that's really interesting. You should, you should see the way she's uh, reacting to this microphone. <laughs> <You know? laughs> okay, I'll just, I'll look away. So, I mean, the big story was... Um, Ben and I, with a couple other people, were on the cover of Fortune magazine. And so that's a really big milestone for parents. And my dad decided that with this milestone that he was going to email the um, principal of my elementary school in Los Angeles who made my life hell when I was in, in elementary school. She, you know, she always made, not made fun of me, but criticized me for being too talkative, said that I was never going to amount to anything, and just really tried to make, you know, my life miserable along with other kids. But if you, like, picked, like, five things that traumatized me and made me who I am, you know, she's one of them. And, you know, so that's a good thing and a bad thing. So my dad emailed her, and he's like, you know, she hasn't forgiven you, which I had. I didn't really care anymore. But he's, he's like, she hasn't forgiven you, and I think after this, the best thing you could do was actually send her an email and apologize. And he never told me he was doing this. Um, and my dad has this habit of, of sending letters and emails. Like, he, he, wrote, he writes letters to Castro because my mom's Cuban, and they had to leave, and he's, like, trying to get him to, like, realize. Anyways. It's, uh, he, Does Castro have a blog? Uh, no. Uh, yeah, that's, that doesn't seem like something they'd do. Um, so he writes to the nun, and um, I didn't know this, and then one day I get a, a, an email from her, and it's in, in the from was like Sister Francis. That was her from, and it was like, oh, my God, what is this? <laughs> and she's like, well, I just saw you on Fortune, and I just wanted to say how... Um, you know how great it is, and God bless. And and I, I and my mom calls me like a couple of days later, and she's like, um, "Do you?" Or no, I said, "Do you know who emailed me?" And she's like, "I know, I'm sorry." <laughs> <laughs> and the whole thing, and and it was um, this this moment was like so traumatizing. But I, the thing at demo, I said is, you know, this this made me who I was, and this made me a blogger because if she hadn't done all this stuff and she hadn't made my life miserable and the kids hadn't made my life miserable, I would never have started Dollar Short, which was basically about how my childhood, you know, sucked on those levels. I loved my childhood, but those things were horrible. So, um, 
I did end up writing her a long letter saying, you know, don't judge people if they're talkative because it means that they, you know, they're maybe bored in school and you know you should figure it out. But she never wrote me back. But other than that, it was um, it was it was a big moment for my dad, and I think I'm living, I'm basically doing all these things for him. <laughs> That's great. What a great dad you must be to go and back you up like that. Yeah. So the story was she gave you a hard time at school for being talkative yeah. and, and that and made your life miserable at school and that led to you starting a blog. Is that how Six Apart was started because of your blogging? Can you tell yeah. a bit about that story for people who don't know it? Yeah. Um, I had a blog, Dollar, Store, Dollar Short, and I started in April 2001. I had a job and I, wasn't, I didn't feel too um, fulfilled to create creatively and I said I'm never going to be famous in the real world I may be famous online to some people so why don't I go for creating a blog and I wanted to win um, South by Southwest um, they have a web blog of the year award and that was about a year um, in the future and so I did end up starting my blog and um, I won the award so I, I'm very goal oriented and um, and along the way we Ben and I realized one, um, we really liked web blogging, and we could make a tool that was good for other people. And it was meant just to be kind of like a shareware sort of donationware thing, but it kind of took a life of its own. So what makes somebody wake up one day and say, you know, I think I could be famous in the online world? What, what was it about you that you thought would make you famous? I think it was because when in 2001, you know, there were still very prominent bloggers, and you also could see a visible, like, A-list, and you could see that there was a certain number of people who were able to get this. And, and, and it wasn't, I mean, I enjoyed a lot of their writings, but it wasn't like it was anything that was spectacular. I mean, they were, most of the things that I think made them stand out were they had a really strong personal voice. And that was the thing that I kind of took away for when I started my blog. And I thought, you know, if I write something and I find, and I write it that's entertaining and I'm, I'm true to my voice and I write things that, you know, aren't controversial but people enjoy, you know, they, people like that sort of outlet too. They don't always just want to read about tech or about politics. And so I figured I could, I could try and I didn't think I'd be as successful but you know you just kind of monitor things. I remember the first day I hit 50 visitors a day and then you know I set the goal for 100, 200. I got up to about probably 15,000 a day and um, and then I realized like I think at that point I just hated having that many people reading my blog. So now then I slowly killed it and now it's really important like privacy. That's why a lot of the stuff that we're doing now with our platforms is so oriented on writing to smaller numbers of people because I'd rather write to 30 people through a filter on LiveJournal that nobody else can read than really write to the, the whole world right now, at least about personal things. Mina's Corner, which is about the company, I'm fine that way. But personal, I don't, I don't really like writing about it. And I think it's also because I'm more visible now because of the company that people, if I write about going on a vacation, they'll say, oh, you know, look, at she's, she's not working on TypePad or something. TypePad's slow. It's because she's in Hawaii. And it's like, they're not related, but... Now you've got some big changes coming to TypePad. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's more of a, um, a platform change, which um, TypePad will see. And it's we've codenamed it Comet. And it's basically kind of taking what's great about TypePad and MobileType, which is a really good publishing system. And then the best things about LiveJournal, which we acquired in January of this year, it's privacy and integration and an aggregator built in. So you can read your friends' or family's posts or posts that are um, relevant to what you're reading, you know, tag-based um, um, views of certain topics. So the example, I went to um, demo earlier, that, or probably about a month and a half ago, and we showed a bit of this. And it was, you know, I brought my mom on stage, and I said, people say you want to make a tool that's easy enough for your mom to use. And we want to do that, but we also want to make a tool she wants to use because right now she knows how to use a computer she's 48 years old she uses a computer all the time 
but she doesn't have any desire to blog because she thinks about it as being just too much of a um, exhibitionist sort of tool. And she wants privacy. She wants she doesn't she doesn't she doesn't want everything to be public. She doesn't have time, and she doesn't think she has anything to write. And basically, the whole point is to convince her: one, it can be private. Only me and Ben, our son-in-law, can read it. Um, Two, she can write the same thing she writes in emails that she doesn't even realize she's you know, spending the time writing about. And then three, time, she can tr- keep track of the people that matter. She's reading my blog or Ben's blog or my aunt's blog just in, in, in one central view. And so, you know, most people don't know a newsreader and no, most people don't know what RSS is. And I, my goal isn't to get people to know what these terms are. It's to get them to use them in a way that they don't even think that they're using it. So in a situation like that, why would your mum be better off uh, writing a small private blog rather than just sending an email to two or three people? Well, I mean, for me, email has always been something that I kind of dread because, one, you're, you, you've got so much spam now or you get everything's mixed in. For, I mean, there's people have filters, and so you can sort things. But for the most part, I get everything dropped in one inbox. And it's hard to keep up, and I never end up replying because things get lost. But it's also because I think a new generation of people, especially, you know, people who are younger than me and teenagers, they don't use email. To them, and Clay Shirky actually said this, is that, you know, to people under 21 or 25, email has always been broken to them. It's always been spam. It's always been something that's been marketing. And what they do now is they use IM or they'll use something like LiveJournal. And that's the sort of thing. Email is too slow in the communication. And Setting, writing a blog post, if you look at LiveJournal's posts from the teenagers, a lot of them are like emails. You're communicating with, little, with smaller groups, and then you get comments. And so why I would want my mom to use it is, one, I don't, I'd like something to be archived in a really good manner, and that's what a blog does well. I mean, archives are why blogs, I think, really take off. And then there's also the whole thing about you know, the RSS, or at least syndication, is that that whole, whole sort of thing makes it a, a feedback loop that's e- easy to maintain and to keep on going. So it's the asynchronous communication model moving forward, you think? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So <laughs> one more question for you. Mina, this is, you, how old were you when you started your blog in 2001? Mm, 23. So what do you think has been the, the primary reason for the success of Six Apart over the last three, four years? Is there, is there one thing that you keep in front of you as, as, a, as a vision, as a... Uh, as an ambition, you said you're very goal oriented. W- can you tell us what your goal is over the next ten years? What are you trying to do? Well, I think one of the things that I think was reflective in my own blog is I wanted to write something that I thought most people could identify with. It's personal life, and everybody has a childhood. And most people have, you know, at least most people online probably have a childhood that sucked because you know geeks tend to have that um, sort of thing in common. Um, what I wanted to do was bring this sort of technology to people who wouldn't necessarily be technologists. And so it's always been important that, you know, the designs that we did with our blogs and the output, that they were, they were, they looked professional, they looked polished and styled without having the skill to do that. Um, and so bringing it to a mass audience is, is, of course, something important. But it's also creating quality content. Typepad, because it's a um, subscription service, has the best blogs on the web. I mean, I'm, I'm certain of it because people pay $15 a month re- I mean, four ninety-five to fifteen dollars a month, and they invest in it. You don't buy something and then just never use it, and um, or unless it's a gym membership. And the, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> and um, because of that, you see really high quality weblogs, and it's nice because it's created. We have a brand that people associate with quality. Uh, but in terms of what I see blogging is, and this is something that we've been talking about with Comet, and I'm going to be talking about more this year, is that it's about recording life. 
And that's something that is so simple, but most people don't do. Um, I mean, this is what we're doing with podcasting. I think one of the reasons why podcasting is really getting uh, popular is because even though it's harder to listen to than text because text is so easy to parse, there is something about hearing somebody's voice and having that sort of archive that's there. So, you know, in 10 years or 20 years, you can hear an audio recording, and that's a lot stronger than just seeing um, text. And the same thing with video. And so what I do, at least uh, on a personal level, like I take a picture of myself every day. And it's just for my consumption. Some people see it, but most people, and the public definitely doesn't see it. And it's able, I'm able to keep track of time that way. And I think this is like such a hello world of what we're, what we're going to be doing, just taking a picture. I mean, what we're doing, recording what we eat, recording where we talk, or who we talk to, where we go. Um, and, you know, only a small percentage of this is going to be visible to the general public. You'll see everything. Your best friend may see 50% of it. Your husband or wife may see 80 or 20, depending on your relationship. But, you know, it's all the selective filters of, of your life. And ultimately, I think we need to keep blogs for ourselves because journaling is something that people have done throughout history. And it's something that I think keeps people sane. And I think about it from my kids' perspective as well. For you know, 20 years from now, for my kids to be able to go back and have a look at what an idiot their dad was, it, 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 hopefully it will be a uh, comforting thing for them. I think... I th- you have your blog in your will. Will your blog go on after you... Because <laughs> I've begun to think about that myself. I, and that maybe should be in your TOS. Is uh, you know what uh, what do you do uh, when if you uh, if you bite the big one? Uh, what do you what do you do with your blog? Because <laughs> your credit cards will all be gone. And if you're a single guy, especially or a single woman, I mean, what do you do? And you should bequeath your blog to somebody. So actually, I was hoping, Cameron, that you are going to leave it all to me. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny you should say that because my dad actually passed away a couple of years ago. He was in his early fifties. And about a year or two before he died, he became obsessed with the PC. And he actually started a kind of a blog. This was in 2001 he passed away. So it wasn't a blog, but it was, you know, some different sites that he was writing on. And I'm so glad he did. It's, I don't have much of a record of him, but I can go back now and write things that he put up there about his childhood growing up in Scotland. And, you know, you think about if you could go back to your grandparents or your great-grandparents and, and read their daily lives. So that's, so I guess I'm interested in motivation, Mina. So that's your motivation is to help people capture and record their lives. Is that what gets you, you know, excited? I think that's one aspect. I think there is the communication and there's what we do for, you know, businesses and all of the things that we've heard today at the conference. I mean, that's important as well as, you know, just being able to use it for a, 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 a way to convey news. Um, and, I mean, the stuff that we've been able to do with our blogs for the company has, I mean, that's a story, a successor on, uh, in its in its own um, right. But in terms of my personal passion, I think that this is what people always say I light up about is when I talk about it recording life. Because I am, I'm kind of, I've always been kind of obsessed with death in a bad way, just kind of like it, life's too short, ever since I was a little baby. And, um, and I think that this is maybe like my big... Um, my big purpose in life because I mean I like you said you know if you could have something of your grandparents or your great grandparents and now we're you know we're so in the present we're like you know who cares what we're saying necessarily but it is going to matter to people and I think you know if I had the last 28 years I would love that and you know when I have children I'm going to be doing this and it'll grow and grow and grow and I think 50 years from now we're going to have some really nice records of all of our lives have you read Ray Kurzweil's new book The Singularity Is Near Mm -hmm should read that because he's saying that by 2025 we'll all have merged with machines anyway so we will live forever yeah. and your blog will be in your head 
Yeah. You'll be able to record every thought that you think and everything that you see. Is that cool? I think that's uh, that's cool as long as not everything I'm thinking is public. <laughs> type Typepad version 37 in uh, 25 years. Thank you, Mina. Steve. Let me let me grill you on this uh, markets of conversations thing because I don't think you guys actually nailed it up there today. There was no clear definition. It was a good question you set out with, but everyone sort of waffled a little bit around it and ended up just talking about blogs. Define markets of conversations for people. What the hell does it mean for people who have never heard of a clue train? What it means is what it's always meant. I mean, markets have been conversations since Unga and Bunga. Uh, These American celebrities, I don't know, Unga and Bunga. No, cavemen were dragging around sticks, going Unga and Bunga. I mean, it's just that was a conversation, and that was uh, that was a market of of two or three or you know or five. So I think markets or conversations means that commerce is dependent on conversation. You know, conversation is what drives markets, both in any direction. Whether it be up, down, north, south, that's what markets are conversations. So if markets have always been conversations, why is it such a big deal? Why are we all talking about it at blog on 2005 all of a sudden? Because now the internet has changed that and made and put that into everybody's hands and allowed that to become much more distributed than it ever was. So this conversation here that we're having, you know, the four of us, may have never been heard beyond just the four of us, or you could have went and put it on a cassette tape and given it to six people or ten people, and that would have been it. Now you're going to go out and you're going to put it up from your blog in Australia, and it's going to get read around the world and come back to you, and you're going to get comments and feedback. And you're going to find more interview sources and more people to talk to and hopefully find new sponsors for what you're doing. And that's what a conversation does. Is it, that's now the new currency. So what's changing with that then? How is the how are these internet-based technologies changing the way that you're you're a PR professional in New York for people who who don't know who Steve is? What is the change in the way that companies need to think about the conversations that they have with the marketplace now? Is 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 this a new discipline that they need to consume? Yes, I think it's a new discipline with new rules, and I think as we found out during the session today, it's it's unclear whose job it is. It could be customer service. It, it could be uh, the marketing team. It could be the product teams. It could be the executive team. It's really unclear. And so I think that every corporation needs to, at minimum, be doing two things. We say find, listen, engage, empower. Every company, every company, I don't care if there's, if you have three customers or you have you know, hundreds or thousands, needs to be doing find and listen. Need to find where the networks are, where the power sh- where the power players are, within the particular sectors that they play in. Uh, listening to what is being said, not just about them and their products and their competitors, but also the broader industry or the broader need that the public may have. So, if you're selling something, what need you're solving, you should be searching on those terms. Everybody should be doing that. Engage and empower, I think, is for some companies, and that's what we try to touch on today. Is that it's for companies who can who are willing to be more transparent and can let down their hair a little bit and, and change their DNA slightly or already have their DNA made up. I think Sprint, as the example that we saw today, they've changed their DNA structure to be able to allow that, and, and Vicki Walker is a, is a change agent who is doing that. Uh, not every company should blog, though. Not every company will blog. So it's, it's, an, it's an exciting time, and I think that... It's increasingly the, the consumers are going to look to the corporations that are willing to come down from the mountain and talk to them just as individuals, not just being marketed to, marketing with, or conversing with. Is it the majority of the marketplace, though, that really cares, or is it just a small number of geeks who are running around waving flags in the air saying, we've got, we've got blogs and we know how to use them? I think consumers care, they just may not realize they care. So uh, Google is a wonderful tool. And if you go right now and you Google Netflix, 
The second link you're going to find is Hacking Netflix, which is Mike Kalchny, who is a blogger with kids and a, and a day job. Okay, he's an influencer and he's a conversation. You may not know what that site is. You may have no idea that it's a, a six-apart power blog. You may have no idea what a blog is. You may not know what a permalink or a trackback is. But you're going to say, hey, you know what? There's content here. And this is interesting. Now, I don't know who it's from, but it seems to be different than, than what I read from the corporate site. So I think there's, you know, to your, to your point, Mina, about making this all seamless, it is seamless. It's already there, and, and I think that's what makes it relevant. It brings me back to something that uh, it was a question I asked in one of the sessions today. Uh, you know, I think the it might have been your session, Jackie, was about the kryptonite. I asked, the, were you on that panel when I asked the question about kryptonite bike locks? If you Google that, uh, you know, if you, uh, I mean, you guys all know about the kryptonite thing from a year ago. If you Google kryptonite bike locks today, the number one uh, return is Phil Tyrone's post from September last year, talking about how you can hack one with a big pen. And I asked the question of the, the panel this morning. And uh, how do you, how does a company handle that? How do you how do you get your Google rank back when you've had you know a crisis like that that has been picked up by the blogosphere and now uh, for you know, 12 months later people who Google kryptonite are still finding Filterone's post as the top entry. You you had an issue. Somebody mentioned that you did some sort of triage or something recently. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was pricing from. From <laughs> that microphone, just uh, about a year ago, I mean, we started charging removal type, and when we did that, um, we also put some um, restrictions on the numbers of authors you could have and weblogs you could have. And one of the problems was that we did this based on what we saw was a business level, because commercial um, users were happy with this, but we applied it to the personal without, you know, realizing that that was a mistake. So we got a lot of trackbacks basically saying that, you know, they were really unhappy. And we used it to our advantage because we took, we wrote a post. We said, you know, we obviously hear you're upset. Um, let's talk about what will work for you. And then people actually tracked back positive responses about what they needed to change. And we made the changes. Um, but at the same time, you know, it is something that is in people's memories. And we, um, one of the things that we've done, and it's something that, you know, it, it, it stings, but it's still something that we, we require ourselves and we wish other people would do, is we don't take bad things off of our own site. So we have that post still up there with all the negative trackbacks, the original one, and we don't remove it because it's our history. And you can't, you've got to judge a company by its history. And then you see other um, places where, you know, they don't do that. And that's something, you know, in, in a way it may hurt us because if someone finds that instead of something that's more relevant, like the updated post that says, you know, we have made the changes, you know, they they may be quick to say, you know, they haven't changed anything. But the, for our belief is you have to be able to represent this. And, you know, I think it makes the company stronger in the long run. It, I still get upset, though, like if I do a search, a Google search, and that's, that post is one of the first responses because there's so many things that's changed since that or re results. Um, but it's something that I think the search engines are going to have to figure out to do. One thing I think bloggers need to do when they don't do enough is they don't update their post when they find something that's um, actually wrong with their original post or if something has been changed. You see so many posts where people, I mean, it's true with everything, is that, you know, everybody sees the front page story about something going on, but they never see the, the correction six pages in a week later. If people actually are going to want to be respected as, you know, cre um, credible sources, you need to make the updates visible and you need to make sure that if you're able to swallow pride and say, you know, I made a mistake and here's an update and here's how the company responded. There's so many things that I think that personally on our level, uh, from Six Apart, you know, people have criticized us, we've addressed it and changed, but you never see a follow-up. And follow-ups are important because if the company is doing something and you are you are responsible for that change, it's a good thing. And I think you can use it towards you. Have you ever requested follow-ups? 
never publicly. I think we may have talked to people who have written something saying, hey, we made these changes, what do you think? But if they don't write it, I mean, we're not going to say you have to write a follow-up. I think it's always good to say, you know, if, if, if we've done something, you know, it'd be great to hear about it because that helps. But, I mean, we wouldn't shame someone into following up. No, but, uh, I mean, as a, I'm just running it through my head. If, if I'd written a, a critical post and then the company responded, did the right thing and have changed or fixed or explained the rationale for that business model and came to me and said, well, look, uh, you know, it's, it's been six months later or a year later, that post that you wrote has still got a very high Google rank and it's impacting the way that people think it. Would you mind putting an update at the top of that post saying, you know, update six months after this, uh, it's all been corrected and these guys are doing a great job? I, I don't think I'd have a, a moral or, or principle issue with that. I think it just has to be a practice that people get used to doing yeah. and you set the, the people who do it should set an example for the people who don't but you forget I mean I, I don't know what post I wrote yesterday let alone the post I wrote six months ago it doesn't affect me anymore but it affects you right you don't see mob justice about things that people like you know they they don't they don't rush after you and say you did a really great job so it's I think it's human nature to not really think about I mean I wrote a post once about saying hey I had a really good experience with Lufthansa customer service and it's weird because Lufthansa gets a lot of complaints, but it was really great. This person did this, this person did this. And I said, you know, give me examples of good customer service. And of course, you know, you don't get that many responses because nobody talks about the good things necessarily. But when they do, you know, it, it helps a lot as well. I talk about good customer service. The thing that always amazes me, and this usually happens with online companies, right, is when you have a problem with one of their products and you post about it and, you know, 12 hours later or 24 hours later you get a, an email from customer service saying, hey, listen, how can we help? I always post about that because it always knocks my socks off. You know, what I want to say is I want to I say two things about Six Apart. First is they are the model for how all companies are going to operate in, in five years or hopefully less than that. I mean... And, and that's because you live it. You, uh, you're making the tools that we're all using to, to, to complain about you in the first place. And I'm in incredibly impressed with how responsive your customer service team is when I go in through your queue that I have to. But then I also love that I have somebody who, who I know at Six Apart. Now, I don't know if you want to call me privileged or lucky or whatever or connected, but I know somebody pretty high up, and I, I am him when I have a problem. And at 1130 at night when my blog went down, he looked into it. And, and I know uh, somebody at Lego who is in the same situation, who he's on his buddy list is populated by all influential members of the Lego online community. That, those two are models of how businesses are going to operate in the future. And boy, that's hard to scale, and, and you do it really well. Uh, the second thing is I want to just, I never got a chance to do this, but I really wanted to do this right here. I want to thank you for changing my life. I thought you were going to propose to her there for a second. I was going to say, you're too late, Steve. But sorry. And Mina is happily married. But, but she, I just want to thank you and your company for changing my life because it has. It has. You, you, I mean, not in a sharing personal way, but in a business perspective. You've changed my, my life, my business, my career. And, and because you gave me tools, damn good tools, that allowed me to communicate my ideas in words that I could have never done before. And, you know, I, I, I sh where do I send the check? <laughs> How does that make you feel, Mina? Oh, I mean, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I mean, it's something that it's really good to hear because, you know, it is, we do hear the negative so much. And those are the things that you remember. And, um, I mean, I think a lot of the times, see, I get all emotional. See, a lot of the times when we've had really bad things happen, somebody always manages to send a nice email about something. And that kind of makes us realize, you know, let's not throw in the towel. And that's important. I mean, it's a hard thing. We are people. 
and the whole company. I mean, that's the uh, Neil likes to say. You know, we're a company of bloggers for bloggers, and it's hard for us because you know we never thought about getting into this as being a, a business, but we have to be. And oddly enough, we became sort of the the big company, and um, and people expect a lot from the big company. And you know, it was easier when we were underdogs because people are like more likely to say, hey, you know, they just made a mistake. Those two little kids in their apartment, and so I mean, something like that is really great, and I'm I'm glad that I, that we've helped to do that for you. You will do that for many more people as well. I mean, I the way I got into blogging, Cameron, is I, I, I mean, I had heard about it for a few years, but I picked up PC Magazine in late 2003, and they had done a roundup review of all the blogging tools, and I had never heard of your tool. I had heard of Blogger, and I tried it, and I was less than impressed, and I thought it was difficult. And But I tried yours, and I was just shocked at how easy it was. And th- that's what gave me the inspiration to, to try it with my clients. And then after I succeeded with with their blogs and said, well, how come I'm not part of this? And so I mean, it's 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 true, and, I, and I'm sure you have you have changed many many more lives than than just people and you know some guy with some wacko blog with a wacko name who sitting right here who would I, would I would we would not have a business if it wasn't for you. Jackie Huber from is it Church of the Customer? What's the name of the business? I don't want to get in the same mistake I made with Mina. It's funny we get that all the time. What's the name of your business? Yeah. We're just two people who write, who blog, and who speak. I don't know what our business is. It's whatever. It's whatever you want to say that is. We're evangelists for the customer, and um, so best, best known through the Church of the Customer book and blog, right? Yeah, the book is Creating Customer Evangelists, but our blog is Church of the Customer. And if we didn't have that, how could we possibly get our ideas to spread? There's really no. Uh, no, I can't even tell you how many people here who I've only met through their blog. I mean, that's the example of Anil, Anil, who's you know the one that helps you so much. We met through our blogs. I, he had a blog. It was really funny because he had a blog and he wrote about how he was friending people on Amazon and he didn't realize that when he was doing that they would get a notification say that Anil Dash has just added you to a friend. So he was doing it to all these people and he felt so embarrassed after he re- realized that. And I emailed him. I added him as my friend because I felt you know I felt that sort of thing that like that's something I would do like realize three days later that I added 50 people and they don't even consider me a friend. And so that sort of thing started a relationship with us and, you know, he's part of the company. And so many people at our company were bloggers that I met through blogs. Blogging has changed my life and everybody else's life at the company in such a, a, a profound way. And it's, it's insane. I mean, and I, people I know are married to people they met through their blogs. And it's, it's a, such a different level of, you know, online communities 10 years ago. Because, you know, you'd always have like this 18-year-old talking to a 50-year-old and then they'd meet in real life and it was just creepy and then, you know, it kind of dissolved. But this is like, we have like-minded people that are share skill set, share passion, meeting in such a way that it's like, I can never imagine if we didn't have this. I've got people who are working for me for the last six months that I only just met today and yesterday for the first time. Some of my US and UK, Sue Charmant, one of my podcasters from London. I'd never met Sue before today, but I've been reading her blog for years, you know, and it is. It's very strange when you meet people. For uh, Steve, met all of you. I met Mina before. Now, Jackie, uh, the, the sort of stuff that uh, Steve was just saying to Mina before, in terms of creating customer evangelists, that's got to be one of the most powerful statements. You've changed my life. You know. what, what other examples have you seen in the last sort of year or so that, that come to mind in terms of customer experiences that have blown people away like that? In terms of digital? 
Okay, if you want. Well, I think podcasting has such a has a uh, not that we're on a podcast right now, but has a, such a long way to go. And it was interesting, Mina, talking about family podcasting. And I was sitting with my 11-year-old niece just last week, and I tried to get her to blog, and I tried to get her to podcast, and obviously I couldn't figure out what was a value proposition for her. But now I'm starting to think, screw that. Let me come at it from the other way. Let me record her and my niece and my nephew for them later. And maybe later she'll appreciate or maybe when she gets to be a teenager she will podcast. But I love this. I love this on the personal side. And I've never thought about podcasting in that way. But why not do that with the family on the personal side? I love it. And I think that will really, as she was saying, change people's lives. I did an interview uh, about a week ago with a young guy called Michael F. I don't say his surname because his parents don't like him to say it on his blog. But Michael is the founder of the Teen Podcast Network. They've got about, it's a directory of teens that are podcasting. He's 14. He's on the east coast of the US here. And I, I, I talked to him for an hour. An amazing kid, you know, he's, he's running this thing. I think when I was 14, I was chasing chicks and, you know, growing my hair long and playing air guitar, you know. this He's building this amazing business, but he's got all these teenagers that are doing, like, weekly podcasts of what's important to them, what they're thinking about, what they're pissed off about, what's, you know, etc. What an amazing record this is going to be, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now, right, of all of their teenage woes and tribulations recorded. It is amazing. One of the clients we were working with was with teachers, so I went to an educational conference for teachers in technology, the leading teachers in technology, and I didn't realize that the classrooms are podcasting, and so I was trying to show my niece, look at these fifth graders who are podcasting, and there's, if you go to iTunes, there's listen, listen, listen to them, and I just wonder, well, you have to wonder also what that's going to do in the future. Is everyone going to feel like they're a media star, and they want to have their own radio show? Because you can, and so I think that'll be really interesting to see later what happens. For my blog and Dollar Short a long time ago, I think it may have been 2001 for the first year, I did, I mean, I, I guess it's a podcast. I mean, it's, I recorded it. It didn't have enclosures, but um, it was something, it was a recording of me talking. I wrote a post, basically, and I, I read it, but the post was about how I found a tape around my house of my dad singing, and it was from probably... Probably seventy nine or eighty, and I you know I was just a baby then, and I find this and I write this. I I, I have to listen to it, but I, I actually included him singing in this this recording. So it's me. It's it's very kind of um, this American Life or NPR style where you know you're talking about a, a sound sound, and but it's it's like that was. It, it, it's a recording of a recording, which I think is pretty um, relevant in what we're doing. It's like that's the sort of thing that lasts. And I have to find it because I haven't listened to it in a long time. And I probably wouldn't want to hear my voice, but it's, it's, it's pretty entertaining. And my dad, I, I don't even know if my dad listened to it. He'd probably be horrified. <laughs> He's singing Blue Velvet. <laughs> but he doesn't sing. <laughs> He's like, is that the one off the David Lynch film? So? Yeah. yeah, ooh, ugh, scary song. I just keep thinking of Dennis Hopper going... <laughs> So, uh, what I'm interested in personal motivation at these events. I don't like talking about technology and gadgets because you know it gets covered. But what what excites me about people like you guys is you're, you're you know superstars in your field. You're obviously very passionate about what you're doing. And I know what I get up for in the morning. The big the big change in my life in the last 18 months after getting out of a corporate life is I wake up every day now and I'm, I'm excited, genuinely excited about something that I'm doing. 
What is it that excites you, Jackie? What what is it? What vision is driving what you and Ben are doing from your personal perspective? Well, it's funny because I don't think we're really doing anything. And what we really get excited about are change agents in companies who do things like Vicky. What was her last name? Vicky Walker. Yeah. I mean, if we feel like we we want to help those folks do stuff, so I would love to see this conference be around enabling the change agents with the stats that they need to take back to management and the presentations that they need and the case studies that they need. So we like to tell stories because we want those stories to be able to be spread through change agents to actually do stuff. Like I said, we do nothing. But if we can tell a story that then they can use to actually do something, then consumers, and I'm a consumer, will be so much more happy. Okay, but you're uh, evangelizing uh, the change agents and what the change agents are doing. You must have some kind of inner motivation for doing that. Do you have a vision for how the world's going to look 10 years from now if you can do a good job helping these people do a good job? Maybe I'm just really selfish, but I'm just a frust- such a frustrated consumer. Yeah. I just want to interact with companies that do things well so that my life is better. Yeah. Plus, I'm a marketing geek, so I love great marketing. And so I think that we we have to get you guys more we have to get more companies to, I think there's a really dearth of companies at this conference who are able to show what they've done I think we're all just kind of flapping our gums about markets or conversations and we're talking to ourselves I think someone made that comment I want to see people like Six Apart is living it but people outside that space who are really making a difference so why isn't more of this happening I mean, blogging's not new now, and we we talk about this, I don't know what Sifri said today, but there's how many millions and billions of blogs now that are out there. But why don't I see more good corporate examples of sort of a MENA-style blog coming out of enterprises in this country? What's holding back marketers? Some some of it, I think, is that they're public companies, and there's so much... Um, pressure and scrutiny with public companies. What I get excited about are actually the challenger brands and the mid-level and small folks who are willing to take a risk and do things. I think that's where it's really exciting because we'll just wait all day for Coke or someone else to blog. I, so I'd love to support these folks who are who are the change agents in large companies, but the challenger brands and the small to medium-sized companies who will do those, take those risks and show us all how it can be done. Seth Gordon wrote that recently that small is the new big. And that had a profound effect on me. I mean, it's it's true. And, and actually, another thing that actually just, for my own life, I just got a copy of Naked Conversations, Shell Israel and Robert Scoble's book. And there's a paragraph on there where Shell looks at my Google results and says, I have more Google mentions than Edelman, the PR firm. And they have 100 times more employees uh, and 100 times more revenues all ahead and been around a lot longer than we have, but yet we have more buzz online. And, and that had a profound effect on me. So I think you're right. That, that I mean, when I wake up in the morning and as I say, I want to get people excited about this. And I want to, I mean, I have, maybe this is grand, but I want to change marketing. I want to make marketing from unidirectional to, uh, to multidirectional. I can't do that myself, though. I can do that by talking to people, whether through face-to-face events or online. And hopefully they start talking about it and they go and do their own learning. And they, and they come back and figure it out. Just like, you know, I learned about TypePad and that got me turned on. I'm hoping that I can do that. That's what I hope I can do. But it's, it's, uh, it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody to do. And it's not like it's, everyone's going to be required to do this. But the small companies that are nimble that do it, I think, are going to compete against big players in a way they never could before. When you say it's not for everybody to do, there are more businesses that will be doing it than won't be doing it, though, surely. There's, 
no? No, I, I really don't think so, Chris. Uh, fear is huge, and you have huge corporate cultures to un to unravel that have been that have been like that for years. GE has a culture of fear and quality that has been around for you know before Jack Welch. I don't know how you unravel that. How do you undo that? Unless it becomes unless the customers undo it. Unless they demand to be talked to in a certain way that it has to be done. So I don't think every company is going to do it. Or they'll pick their spots and they'll, and they'll put their toe in the water and they'll try it. I, I think, to your point, the small and medium companies with no baggage, with, with uh, leaders who are willing to take chances, who have nothing to lose or very little to lose, no regulation, no lawsuits to worry about. And when not everything is a 25-part decision, it's, it's a two-person decision. You know, it's not a, it's not a matrix decision. Those companies are going to do it. The thing that I think most marketers and PR people that I've spoken to seem to miss, though, is this point of listening to uh, what's going on and engaging the blogosphere. And I think somebody on your panel may have made the point, Jackie. We talk about the big bloggers and the little bloggers, and increasingly marketers or PR professionals will engage the big bloggers if they mention the product or service, but ignore the smaller fish. But, you know, I've seen this happen a lot with Scoble in the last year, and I'm starting to see it happen with my blog even. You know, my blog doesn't even rate. But recently, uh, with the Sun Google announcement in Australia, the um, I'd, I'd been writing about on one of my blogs about uh, replacements for Microsoft Office because I'm, I'm sick of having to do 80 meg downloads for service pack upgrades and stuff. And I was talking about Google and a web office thing that, should, that they should come to market with. So the IT editor of the top uh, financial newspaper in Australia rang me on the day of the Sun Google announcement and spoke to me for half an hour about what I thought about Sun and Google to put into his article. So as the press is starting to engage more and more with bloggers and taking their story, I know Scoble said, look, it might only be 5,000 people who read his blog every day, but some of those are journalists that have millions of readers, and if they pick up a story and then run it, all of a sudden millions of customers are getting this information. So it seems to me increasingly important that large enterprises, even if they don't have their own blog, are getting involved with the blogosphere and communicating and quickly and, and, and transparently. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a mistake they make. They all go right to the A-list. Yeah. Okay, they go right to the A-list and they say, okay, who's the biggest Who's the biggest cat on the street? You know, what do we do to, 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 to pull its tail? I mean, how do we do it? And I think that, that sometimes that's a mistake because they're, the, I know reporters who sit on search feeds using PubSub or Feedster or Technorati, and they look at every single post that comes across a company or brand that they have to track. So that blog instantaneously can have thousands of readers, right? We never heard of George Masters, who created that iPad, uh, iPod mini ad, until Wired discovered it, wrote about it, it got blogged up like crazy, and next thing you know, it was on CNBC. We never heard of, of, of Jose Avalar III and FedEx Furniture until it got blogged up. So things start very small and can get very big in a hurry. And it's not the long tail. I know we talk about that. It's a real buzzword and, you know, it's overused. But it's true. And so a blog can have two readers. If those readers are Jackie Huba and Mina Trot, then everyone's going to know in a hurry. And so I think that, that you need to figure out where the watering holes are and, and make sure that you, you, you put the right seeds in those waters. Thank you, everybody. I know you've all got to go. Flights to catch. Real jobs to go to. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> this is my job. <laughs> no, this is Jackie's job. Good job. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Hey. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, from the beginning. That's right. I'm back at the end. 
I waited around for the entire podcast just to tell you that it was brought to you by Motorola. Yeah, dude. I gotta get some nachos. I am so hungry. Are there any near your house? The podcast network. Real power can't be given. It must be taken.